The Ninth and Tenth Commandments of the Large Catechism by Martin Luther. Translated by F. Bente and W. H. T. Dow. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his cattle, nor anything that is his. These two commandments are given quite exclusively to the Jews. Nevertheless, in part they also concern us. For they do not interpret them as referring to unchastity or theft, because these are sufficiently forbidden above. They also thought that they had kept all those when they had done or not done the external act. Therefore God has added these two commandments, in order that it may be esteemed as sin and forbidden to desire, or in any way to aim at getting our neighbor's wife or possessions and especially because under the Jewish government manservants and maidservants were not free as now to serve for wages as long as they pleased, but were their master's property with their body and all they had, as cattle and other possessions. Moreover, every man had power over his wife to put her away publicly by giving her a bill of divorce, and to take another. Therefore they were in constant danger among each other that if one took a fancy to another's wife, he might allege any reason both to dismiss his own wife and to estrange the other's wife from him, that he might obtain her under pretext of right. That was not considered a sin or disgrace with them, as little as now with hired help, when a proprietor dismisses his manservant or maidservant, or takes another's servants away from him in any way. Therefore, I say, they thus interpreted these commandments, and that rightly, although their scope reaches somewhat farther and higher, that no one think or purpose to obtain what belongs to another, such as his wife, servants, house and estate, land, meadows, cattle, even with a show of right, or by a subterfuge, yet with injury to his neighbor. For above, in the seventh commandment, the vice is forbidden where one rests to himself the possessions of others, or withholds them from his neighbor, which he cannot do by right. But here it is also forbidden to alienate anything from your neighbor, even though you could do so with honor in the eyes of the world, so that no one could accuse or blame you as though you had obtained it wrongfully. For we are so inclined by nature that no one desires to see another have as much as himself, and each one acquires as much as he can. The other may fare as best he can, and yet we pretend to be godly, know how to adorn ourselves most finely and conceal our rascality, resort to and invent adroit devices and deceitful artifices, such as now are daily most ingeniously contrived, as though they were derived from the law codes. Yea, we even dare impertinently to refer to it and boast of it, and will not have it called rascality, but shrewdness and caution. In this lawyers and jurists assist, who twist and stretch the law to suit their own cause, stress words and use them for a subterfuge, irrespective of equity or their neighbor's necessity. And, in short, whoever is the most expert and cunning in these affairs finds most help in law, as they themselves say, vigilantibus juris subveniunt, that is, the laws favor the watchful. This last commandment, therefore, is given not for rogues in the eyes of the world, but just for the most pious, who wish to be praised and be called honest and upright people, 
since they have not offended against the former commandments, as especially the Jews claimed to be, and even now many great noblemen, gentlemen, and princes. For the other common masses belong yet farther down under the seventh commandment, as those who are not much concerned whether they acquire their possessions with honor and right. Now this occurs most frequently in cases that are brought into court, where it is the purpose to get something from our neighbor and to force him out of his own. As, to give examples, when people quarrel and wrangle about a large inheritance, real estate, and so forth, they avail themselves of and resort to whatever has the appearance of right, so dressing and adorning everything that the law must favor their side, and they keep the property with such title that no one can make complaint or lay claim thereto. In like manner, if any one desire to have a castle, city, duchy, or any other great thing, he practices so much financiering through relationships, and by any means he can, that the other is judicially deprived of it, and it is adjudicated to him, and confirmed with deed and seal, and declared to have been acquired by princely title and honesty. Likewise also in common trade, where one dexterously slips something out of another's hand, so that he must look after it, or surprises and defrauds him in a matter in which he sees advantage and benefit for himself, so that the latter, perhaps on account of distress or debt, cannot regain or redeem it without injury, and the former gains the half or even more, and yet this must not be considered as acquired by fraud or stolen, but honestly bought. Here they say, first come, first served, and every one must look to his own interest, let another get what he can. And who can be so smart as to think of all the ways in which one can get many things into his possession by such specious pretexts? This the world does not consider wrong, nor is it punished by laws, and will not see that the neighbor is thereby placed at a disadvantage, and must sacrifice what he cannot spare without injury. Yet there is no one who wishes this to be done to him, from which we can easily perceive that such devices and pretexts are false. Thus it was done formerly also with respect to wives. They knew such devices that if one were pleased with another woman, he personally or through others, as there were many ways and means to be invented, caused her husband to conceive a displeasure toward her, or had her resist him, and so conduct herself that he was obliged to dismiss her and leave her to the other. That sort of thing undoubtedly prevailed much under the law, as also we read in the Gospel of King Herod that he took his brother's wife while he was yet living, and yet wished to be thought an honorable, pious man, as St. Mark also testifies of him. But such an example, I trust, will not occur among us, because in the New Testament, those who are married are forbidden to be divorced, except in such a case where one shrewdly, by some stratagem, takes away a rich bride from another. But it is not a rare thing with us that one estranges or alienates another's manservant or maidservant, or entices them away by flattering words. In whatever way such things happen, we must know that God does not wish that you deprive your neighbor of anything that belongs to him so that he suffer the loss, and you gratify your avarice with it, even if you could keep it honorably before the world. For it is a secret and insidious imposition practiced under the hat, as we say, 
that it may not be observed. For although you go your way as if you had done no one any wrong, you have nevertheless injured your neighbor. And if it is not called stealing and cheating, yet it is called coveting your neighbor's property, that is, aiming at possession of it, enticing it away from him without his will, and being unwilling to see him enjoy what God has granted him. And although the judge and every one must leave you in possession of it, yet God will not leave you therein. For he sees the deceitful heart and malice of the world, which is sure to take an L in addition, wherever you yield to her a finger's breadth, and at length public wrong and violence follow. Therefore we allow these commandments to remain in their ordinary meaning, that it is commanded, first, that we do not desire our neighbor's damage, nor even assist, nor give occasion for it, but gladly wish and leave him what he has, and, besides, advance and preserve for him what may be for his profit and service, as we should wish to be treated. Thus these commandments are especially directed against envy and miserable avarice, God wishing to remove all causes and sources whence arise everything by which we do injury to our neighbor. And therefore he expresses it in plain words, Thou shalt not covet, and so forth. For he would especially have the heart pure, although we shall never attain to that as long as we live here, so that this commandment will remain, like all the rest, one that will constantly accuse us, and show how godly we are in the sight of God. End of the Ninth and Tenth Commandments